Well, good evening. Welcome to Long Hill Baptist Church Wednesday Night Bible Study. We're going to start with number 461, Stepping in the Light. Number 461, we'll sing the first, second, and last verse. Trying to walk in the steps of the Savior, trying to follow Savior and King, shaping our lives by His blessed example. Happy, how happy the songs that we bring. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, stepping in the light, stepping in the light. Beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, led in paths of light. Pressing more closely to him who is leading when we are tempted to turn from the way. Trusting the arm that is strong to defend us. Happy, how happy I praises each day. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, stepping in the light, stepping in the light. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, led in paths of light. And the last, trying to walk in the steps of the Savior, upward, still upward, will follow our guide. When we shall see him, the king in his beauty, happy, how happy our place at his side. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, stepping in the light, stepping in the light. How beautiful to walk in the steps of the Savior, led in paths of light. Well, the steps of our Savior most certainly included steps into trials and difficulties. And uh, certainly tonight, we understand as we continue in the midst of a, a great trial across our land, uh, it's uh, not a, a thing that's a surprise to the Lord. It's uh, not a thing that's unfamiliar to the Lord Jesus Christ uh, to have been in the midst of trials and uh, to anticipate the possibility of worsening trials. Uh, this is uh, something that we can continue uh, in uh, with Christ at our side and the certainty that he will not leave us nor forsake us. Welcome to our Wednesday evening Bible study. Tonight we have the privilege to uh, transition from Joshua now into the book of Judges. We'll open with prayer, we'll sing a little bit more, and we'll uh, try to give a, a good introduction and overview to the book of Judges tonight and the relevance of Judges uh, for believers today, and we'll, we'll see some uh, of first chapter one, I should say, as well. Let's go ahead and bow our heads and open in prayer. Father, we do thank you, Lord, tonight that you're a powerful God, you're a present God. Lord, you're a God who is a keeper of his promises. Lord, you are with us in the midst of the trial that we're in tonight. I thank you tonight, Lord, that we can know with certainty that those are not just words, not just things that we say to comfort one another, but great truths, certain truths. Father, I thank you tonight that uh, just as Jesus promised, uh, you've sent the Comforter. We have the Holy Spirit indwelling us to strengthen us and to comfort us at a time when we really do need that. Father, I pray for people um, in our church that you'd comfort them. I pray for people across this land 
that you comfort believers and that you would um, convict those who still need Christ. Lord, we pray for salvation decisions tonight. Now, Father, as we continue to sing, I pray that you would place a joy in our hearts uh, despite the trial that we face, despite frustrations and difficulties and uh, sorrows. Lord, I pray that you'd place a, a joy and a peace in our heart tonight uh, as we sing of Christ and to him. Lord, I love you. I thank you. I pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we'll take our hymnals and we'll turn to number 673. Number 673, still sweeter every day. To Jesus every day I find my heart is closer drawn. He's fairer than the glory of the golden purple dawn. He's all my fancy pictures and its fair streams and more. Each day he grows still sweeter than he was the day before. The half cannot be fancy. This side, the golden shore, for there'll be still sweeter than he ever was before. His glory broke upon me when I saw him from afar. He's fairer than the lily, brighter than the morning star. He fills and satisfies my longing spirit o'er and o'er. Each day he grows still sweeter than he was the day before. The half cannot be fancied, this side the golden shore, or there he'll be still sweeter than he ever was before. And the last, my heart is sometimes heavy, but he comes with sweet relief. He folds me to his bosom when I droop with blight and grief. I love the Christ who all my burdens in his body bore. Each day he grows so sweeter than he was the day before. The half cannot be fancied. This side the golden shore. Or there he'll be so sweeter than he ever was before. Well, if you're singing at home, you might be out of breath right now. Uh, that's okay. I'm going to do the speaking now. <laughs> Let's take our Bibles, please. Uh, turn to the book of Judges, please. We've been in Joshua uh, for the past uh, uh, several months, uh, and now we move tonight into the book of Judges. So please take your Bible, have your Bible ready. Uh, we'll be in Judges chapter 1 tonight. I want to spend some time... Uh, as it's Wednesday night Bible study and give you kind of a good overview, if I can, uh, try to give a, a decently good uh, introduction tonight to the book of Judges. Now, uh, I want to begin, I think this is important, uh, begin tonight by just uh, quickly laying out the fact this book is incredibly relevant uh, for believers today. Uh, the book of Judges teaches a great deal uh, it's a great warning about being self-willed uh, rather than continuing in the will of God, rather than be, uh, being submitted to God's will and obeying his word. And it's a book that shows that there's consequences uh, when we uh, give in and, and serve ourself rather than serve our Savior 
uh, and obey his words in his strength. Now, secondly, the book tonight is a book that's relevant because it teaches uh, and shows us that even little compromises, uh, small compromises in our obedience to the Lord can lead to increasingly greater error, uh, and sometimes that error can add up to uh, something that looks like fairly complete apostasy. That ought to be a great warning to us tonight. Uh, we'll see this repeatedly in the book of Judges. God wants us to get a hold of that truth, that warning tonight. Well, here's good news. Uh, here's good news. Uh, we'll see the people compromise and, and fall into apostasy. That's not the good news. But the good news is that we'll see God graciously, God will repeatedly, graciously enter into the lives of his people who have compromised and apostatized, uh, and he'll correct them. Uh, he'll he'll uh, work providentially to uh, correct their disobedience. Uh, he'll allow very great trials that go on as long as they need to uh, in order to encourage the people to repent of their compromise, of their sin, and yes, even their uh, apostasy. So uh, thankfully, the book teaches here tonight that when God's people repent and forsake sin, God graciously delivers them from the correction. And keep in mind, we're talking about God's people, saved people tonight. Uh, saved people tonight can expect God's loving, uh, albeit uh, difficult, correction when we compromise uh, and move away from obedience into error. God will correct us as a loving parent. That correction can be difficult. But when we uh, repent and turn away from that and seek the Lord's grace, his strength to return to obedience, he lifts the correction and he restores the blessings. And uh, that's, that's a major theme. We'll see uh, as we move throughout the book of Judges, God graciously corrects his people. Well, thank you, Lord. Thank you for being a God uh, who does that. So we'll, we'll return to that theme repeatedly uh, throughout the book. Now, before we continue, I want to make sure that you have a good understanding of where the book of Judges fits chronologically. Uh, we have basically been studying through the Bible chronologically here. Uh, so we have first Genesis, not first Genesis, but the first book of the Bible, Zachary, Genesis, uh, followed chronologically by Exodus, the people coming out of Egypt uh, into uh, the wilderness, uh, followed by the book of Numbers, which deals with the people in the wilderness chronologically, uh, and then the book of Joshua, which records the people uh, first in the promised land. Uh, and tonight, uh, we've come now to the book of Judges. Uh, Joshua has died, uh, completing his ministry, the, the years that God gave him, uh, and the people are moving forward in the promised land. So Genesis, Exodus, Numbers, Joshua, and Judges. Uh, a little trick to help you remember the uh, chronology. If you look at the word Genesis, uh, think of the word G-E-N-E-S-I-S. G-E-N, -E -S -S, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Numbers. And then you've got two J's, uh, Joshua and Judges. So uh, just a little help there to help you keep in mind the, the books in chronological order. That, that'll be a help. Now, in terms of the, the time frame the book covers, there is some uh, controversy, and the controversy relates to uh, overlapping episodes that we'll see here in the book, but uh, I think it would be fair to say tonight that the book records uh, roughly 350 years 
uh, of the history of, of God's people, the children of Israel. Uh, recall the Lord has, uh, throughout all of this history, he's been establishing his people, uh, a nation, uh, for the purpose of, of bringing a savior through this people, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, he's preparing these people in this land for that purpose. And uh, this book is important historically uh, in that sense. So it's roughly about 350 years uh, from the time of Joshua's death up through the time of Samuel. By the way, Samuel is traditionally held to be the human penman of the book. Uh, the author, the, the human writer, is not uh, identified. Uh, tradition holds that it's Samuel. There are some other theories, but at the end of the day, it's God's words, and, and that's really all that matters. Uh, so 350 years or so from the time of Joshua's death uh, up through Samuel uh, or from the time of Joshua's death up until King Saul, uh, you could think of the time period that way. Now, that's history. Uh, it is inspired history, and it's important uh, in revealing God's plan for forming a nation and bringing a savior through that nation. But uh, it's also history, as we've already alluded to tonight, that has a great deal of spiritual significance, a great deal of spiritual teaching, Zachary. Uh, Judges is a history book that also reveals the heart of the people in that day. It wasn't a good heart. It was a group of people that had become very self-willed, who had compromised, and who experienced God's correction because of that, and God's grace as they repented in the face of correction. Now, if you'll if you look with me here in, flip ahead if you would, to Joshua, set, uh, forgive me, Judges. I'm in the habit uh, for many months, Brother Ray, of saying Joshua, so when I say Joshua, I guess you'll have to determine to hear Judges. Uh, judges 17, go there quickly, flip ahead. Uh, I want you to see this, because this really is sort of a controlling theme of the book. We'll see it twice. Joshua, nope, Judges, there we go. I wish we could edit those out. Judges. 17 and verse 6 says, in those days, there was no king in Israel. So this is before the kings. Uh, it's before Saul. It's before David. Uh, it goes right up until their time. Uh, the Bible says in the next phrase, Judges 17 and verse 6, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. This period of time was a time when uh, the children of Israel, the people of the nation, they're in the land. They've been greatly blessed of God, but they seem to pretty quickly forget that God has a plan for them and God desires their obedience. Uh, he deserves their obedience, but they've allowed themselves to stray uh, from God uh, and they've allowed themselves to just pursue that which seems right in their own eyes. Listen, there's lots of things that might seem right in your eyes tonight. Uh, you, you may have lots of ideas that seem right uh, in our own eyes. Uh, I do. But when you take those ideas and you compare them to the word of God or you view them through the lens of scripture, you see that those ideas, while they might seem right to us, are actually very contrary to scripture. Uh, we all understand uh, that, that phenomena in, in our hearts, uh, in, our, in our eyes. Uh, we can only know what is right by reading God's word and receiving it. Uh, that's how we know what's right. Well, the people uh, in the days of the judges, um, they had forgotten that. They've, they had compromised and slipped away from the Lord, and they were pursuing that which seemed right in their own eyes. 
Uh, You don't need to go there, but the final verse of the book reiterates that. Uh, Judges 21 and verse 25, the end of that verse says, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. So listen, this book is not a happy time really uh, in in the nation of Israel. It's it's really not a, a positive time, but it's important that we not skip over. It's important that we see Uh, the incredibly important spiritual lessons of this book. Uh, Judges records uh, people who were doing their own thing, doing whatever seemed right to them rather than what God desired. And it records over and over the consequences uh, of the people pursuing their own self-willed hearts, the desires of their own hearts, the lust of their own hearts, Uh, And it shows the Lord's intervention to correct and grow his people. Now, if you've studied through the book of Judges before, and of course many of you have, you already know that we'll see several kind of repeating cycles in the book. We'll uh, We'll see a number of cycles where the people fall into sin. Uh, That's an S. Let me give you four S's. They fall into sin. Uh, They suffer chastisement. Uh, They... In the course, in the, in the face of God's correction, they make supplication, uh, they pray, they pray prayers of repentance, uh, and then the Lord raises up someone who delivers them uh, or, or gives them salvation from the consequences uh, of the sin that initiated that cycle. Uh, the heart of this book is a number of cycles, cycling from sin to chastisement to finally saying, yes, Lord, we, we were wrong. Please uh, deliver us from this correction, uh, their repentance and God, God's salvation or, or restoration and rest. By the way, there's, there's R's that are sometimes used. Uh, the people fall into rebellion. They suffer ruination. Uh, they then repent and God restores them. Uh, and gives them rest. So I'll use the S's as we go through the book. There's one less of them. I think it's just a little bit easier uh, to deal with. But you'll see seven cycles. Uh, Seven times we'll go through uh, these cycles in the book. Now, they're they're presented as chronological. Uh, Another night, another lesson, we'll look at um, some things that demand that some of these cycles be overlapping, at least to some extent, perhaps in different parts of the land. Perhaps uh, one one cycle is uh, started in the north, and then uh, south of there, there, there's an overlapping cycle. We'll we'll deal with some of the the so-called problems of, of the years uh, as we move through this, but there, there's an explanation uh, that is satisfying, uh, very importantly, very importantly. Uh, now, what about the title of the book? Uh, I've said Joshua a few times, it's Judges. Uh, what about the title of the book? Well, uh, you already understand uh, a lot about the book in just several minutes here. We've said each time the people fell into sin, the Lord corrected them Uh, He'll correct them, we'll see, in each case by allowing them to fall underneath or into servitude to some local enemy. That's how God will choose to correct them. They kind of fall back into a situation like they were in back in Egypt, um, which is ironic, uh, needless to say. So they'll they'll fall into sin, they'll compromise, they'll sin. Uh, God will chastise them by setting them under the hand, uh, under the servitude of, of an enemy, Uh, In each case, after a number of years of servitude, uh, the people will repent, they'll cry out to the Lord, the Lord will deliver them. 
Uh, but how the Lord delivers them is the key to understanding the name of the book. The Lord responds to their repentance in each case by raising up a leader who will deliver the repentant people from servitude to uh, a local enemy. Those leaders were not kings like Saul or David, but rather they were judges. Uh, they're judges, and we'll see a number of them. There's more than a dozen of them that we'll see in this book. Now, the judges, the function of the judges, uh, they really weren't kings, although in some regards their function was uh, king-like. They did act as military leaders uh, most of the time. They did act as civil leaders to some extent. Uh, they weren't spiritual leaders, technically at least, um, but they, um, they had a civil responsibility, and that's why they're called judges. They would judge matters um, among the people, but most importantly, God will use them in each case to bring them out of his uh, corrective servitude to one of their local enemies. By the way, those people, those enemies should have been driven out. Uh, so people are suffering uh, consequences of not having obeyed the Lord uh, in the past. Well, uh, when the people repent, the Lord graciously sends these judges to deliver them from the consequences of their sin. Now, let's stop there. I'll, I'll catch my breath and, and let you consider that statement just for a moment. Uh, when the people repent, the Lord raises up, the Lord sends a judge who graciously delivers them from the consequences of their sin. Does that sound like anyone else in Scripture, Zach, that, that you can think of? Well, of course it does, Brother Ray. Uh, that, that sounds a great deal like the Lord Jesus Christ is being pictured uh, by these judges who function as I've described. Uh, in their role as deliverers of the people from the consequences of their sin, these judges very much picture Christ. And, and let's not lose sight of that as we go through the book. Uh, if, if the book starts to feel a little bit repetitious at some point, we'll take care not to let that happen. But uh, you want to keep in mind that these judges picture Christ, our Savior. Uh, and each, uh, each cycle through that scenario that, that we've laid out, God will be working to remind us uh, to be careful not to allow ourselves to compromise, uh, to fall into increasingly greater uh, apostasy. That snowballs with one compromise, one snowflake of compromise being the beginning uh, that ends up in a big snowball or a giant snowball of apostasy. Uh, God will graciously correct his people, and when they repent, he will graciously raise up a leader, a judge, to bring them out of that. What a wonderful picture of the salvation we have in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the Father sent his only begotten Son uh, to take uh, the consequence, to take our sin upon him and the consequences of sin upon him, death. Uh, the Lord was willing to do that because he loves us so much, and any of us who would repent, any, uh, you recall the day that you repented, you turned from sin and placed your faith in Christ. In that moment, you were delivered from the consequences of your own sin. That's what's being pictured over and over again throughout this book. This book, uh, although the history is difficult and sad, in the end, the Lord's delivery in each of these seven cycles is an amazing and wonderful picture 
of our salvation. So please keep that in mind. Uh, I won't let you forget that as we go throughout the book, but uh, I just encourage you to, to keep uh, as much of that as you possibly can uh, in mind. Now, in terms of a high-level outline, let me just give you three quick points, three simple points, an outline for the book, and this will be uh, at the very highest level kind of a controlling outline for us. Uh, the first two chapters are uh, before the judges come on the scene. So uh, in the first chapter, we'll see uh, a review of some of the things that happened under Joshua uh, and some of the things that happened immediately after that. Uh, we'll see the first uh, bits of compromise, really uh, more compromise that's continuing uh, from back in Joshua, uh, setting the stage, if you will, for the Lord's correction, uh, setting the stage for him to uh, have need to raise up a deliverer, a judge, uh, who will picture Christ uh, and rescue the people. Uh, we'll see those seven cycles, the time of the judges, in chapters 3 through 16. So first we see two chapters before the judges. Secondly, we'll see the chapters that deal with the judges, uh, chapters 3 through 16. By the way, it's chapters 13 through 16 that deal with Samson. So uh, have that uh, to look forward to, uh, I suppose. And then in the last uh, chapters, thirdly, uh, chapters 17 through 21 uh, deal with some episodes that, that really aren't chronological. Uh, they're important, we'll not skip over them, but uh, they're, they're more like sort of side accounts or side episodes uh, that are not presented in chronological order. So uh, that's uh, a quick introduction to the book, some of God's purposes uh, for the book, some themes, uh, why it's so important for us, how it pictures Christ, uh, we'll, see, we'll see those things as we move through. Now, uh, first, we, we have to cover uh, those things that God would have us to see in the first two chapters before uh, we get into the Judges proper. So join me here, if you would now, in Judges chapter 1 uh, and verse 1. Uh, we see here uh, chapter 1 continuing kind of a recap of the events uh, under Joshua, and the book of Joshua ended uh, similarly, and there's sort of an ongoing continued recap. Uh, this is important. The Lord wants to highlight certain things that uh, he wants to be, us to be reminded of that set the stage here uh, for the judges. So let me, uh, permit me to read just a little bit beginning in Judges 1.1. Bible says here, now after the death of Joshua, it came to pass that the children of Israel asked the Lord, saying, Who shall go up for us against the Canaanites? Uh, first to fight against them. Canaanites were still around. Many, uh, many of the Canaanite peoples were still in the land. Verse 2, the Lord said, Judah shall go up. Uh, behold, I have delivered the land into his hand. Judah said unto Simeon, his brother, Come up uh, with me into my lot, that we may fight against the Canaanites. And I likewise will go with thee into thy lot. Uh, so Simeon went with him. Verse 4 says, And Judah uh, went up, and the Lord delivered the Canaanites uh, and the Perizzites, bad guys, uh, into their hand, uh, and they slew of them Bezek, in Bezek 10,000 men. Now, uh, please, let's just uh, make one quick observation here. Uh, this is recounting a victory, a military victory that's uh, delivering the people from the Canaanites. 
uh, driving, dri continuing to be obedient to God's uh, command, God's plan to drive them out. Uh, we see here uh, in verse 4, the Lord delivered the Canaanites and the Perizzites into their hand. God accomplished this uh, as the people were obedient. God worked in their obedience uh, and gave them a victory. Don't, don't lose sight of that. God, all the way through the conquest of the land, God has been laying forth a plan and opening doors to victory uh, and delivering a victory as the people obeyed the Lord and where they didn't. Uh, or, or where they refused to trust the Lord, that's when they got in trouble. And listen, of course, that's where we get in trouble. We, we disobey the Lord or uh, refuse to trust him and, and, and hold back. That's where we get in trouble uh, as well. In any event, the Lord uh, is delivering uh, victory here. Uh, 10,000 enemy men, verse 5 says, uh, and they found uh, Adonai Bezek uh, in Bezek, this enemy leader. They fought against him. Uh, and they slew the Canaanites and the Perizzites. This is God's plan. This is God's judgment uh, of people who refuse the Lord uh, and God's plan to give their land over to his people in the land that he had promised to them. Verse 6, but uh, Adonai Bezek fled, and they pursued after him and cut him and uh, cut off. Now, this is surprising. They caught him, uh, end of verse 6, and cut off his thumbs uh, and his great toes. That sounds like a pretty surprising thing, Zach. They, they, they've captured this enemy king. The they, uh, first thing they do, according to Scripture, is they cut off his thumbs uh, and they cut off his big toes. Why is it that they've done this? Well, uh, evidently, this was something that this Canaanite king had done to his own enemies. Uh, they're giving him a, a taste of his own medicine, if you will. The Bible says that this same uh, enemy king had, had done this uh, 70 times, actually. Uh, verse 7 says, Adonai... Uh, Bezek said, threescore and ten kings, uh, having their thumbs and their great toes cut off, gathered their meat under my table as I have done. So God uh, hath uh, requited me, and they brought him to Jerusalem, and there he died. So uh, this king suffered that which he had caused others to suffer. And you know, this is, this is God's justice. Uh, this is God's justice. This is not God's people being bad. Uh, this is a picture of God's justice. Uh, being carried out uh, through his people, in this case, uh, against an enemy of God. And please don't forget tonight, God is a just God. He's a loving God. He is a merciful God. Uh, he is a gracious God, but he also is a God who is just. Don't forget tonight that it's his justice. Yes, he has wrath against sin, but it's his justice that demands a payment for our sin. Uh, that payment can be made by ourselves in a very real hell throughout all of eternity, or we can accept the payment that is offered in Christ. Christ paid the price for us on the cross, of course. Uh, when we repent of sin and, and place our faith in Christ, uh, his righteousness is paid on to our account, which satisfies the justice of God the Father. Uh, here in verses 6 to 7, you have a picture of God's justice. Uh, it gives us insight into the necessity of salvation. If you're not sure tonight that there's been a time where you turned from sin and placed your faith in Christ for salvation, you need to understand God's justice demands that. The Father has given his Son uh, as a way for his justice to be satisfied. But you've got to choose to avail yourself of that solution, that plan, 
uh, that balancing of the account, if you will. Well, let's move on. Uh, verse 8 records uh, the conquest of Jerusalem. Uh, now, this evidently is uh, not a complete conquest. Uh, perhaps the, the lower parts or the outer parts uh, we know, uh, we'll see when we get to First Chronicles, it doesn't seem to be until the time of David that there's a complete victory, uh, uh, conquest of Jerusalem. But uh, some, someone's thinking, well, why is there a conquest of Jerusalem? That's, uh, that's, that's the place of God's people and all of that. But, well, that, that hasn't happened yet. Uh, Jerusalem, you recall, uh, if, if not learn or be reminded that this was a place in the land of the Canaanites. Uh, it's a place that had to be conquered and taken uh, so that God's people could occupy it and carry out God's plan there. That hadn't happened yet, uh, but it's starting to happen here. So this is important. Uh, it's important to see this, to understand this, so that we can have a good understanding of Bible history. Uh, verse 8 says, Now the children of Judah had fought against Jerusalem and had taken it uh, and smitten it with the edge of the sword, uh, and they set the city on fire. Well, there's, there's a degree of victory there. Uh, that's all it's said here. Uh, but we, we know from later on that there needed to be a more thorough conquest later on. Well, perhaps the city is being softened up here uh, at this point. Uh, having had uh, success or some degree of success at Jerusalem, uh, the people turned their attention to areas south of Jerusalem, uh, including Hebron. Uh, Hebron, of course, is a place where Abraham built an altar. Uh, it's the area where Sarah was buried. Uh, verse 9, after the children of Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites that dwell in the mountain and in the south and in the valley, and Judah went against the Canaanites that dwell in Hebron. Uh, now the name of Hebron before was Kerjath Arba. Uh, these places had um, old names that uh, the Canaanites had used. We'll see that again in a moment, and we'll see some significant things about that observation in a moment. Uh, they slew uh, Sheshai and Ahiman uh, and Talmai. Talmai. Uh, Joshua 10, by the way, records that Hebron had been conquered earlier. Uh, it seems like maybe the, the Canaanites have regained uh, a stronghold here. And, and boy, what an important observation. Uh, we've, we've already seen in our study of Joshua that the people had compromised at times uh, rather than driving out all of the Canaanites, uh, rather than being uh, perfectly obedient to God's plan through God's strength, they had compromised. Uh, they did not drive out all of God's enemies, the Canaanites. Uh, at times, you recall, uh, they placed the Canaanites under subjection to them, treated the Canaanites as slaves or put them under servitude, requiring them to pay tribute uh, to God's people. Well, uh, no doubt that's one of the reasons that a place like Hebron has become a Canaanite stronghold again. Uh, the people have not been sufficiently, they certainly have not been perfectly obedient to God. So some of the places where they have uh, compromised are now enemy strongholds again. Now listen, um, I, I don't want to um, treat that history in, in a way that we should not, but I do think there's a picture here. I don't want to overly spiritualize. This is literal truth, but I think there's a, there's a picture of a spiritual truth in that. If we don't deal with sin in our lives, if, if we don't really deal with it, if we don't really repent, uh, turn away from sin, uh, and, and completely forsake it, I mean, really leave it behind, 
uh, once and for all in, in God's strength, it's still in our lives. And uh, the devil can come in and uh, work in our lusts and, and cause that interest in that sin to be rekindled. And that, that sin becomes a stronghold in our lives all over again. Uh, it, it's, it would be a lot better to pray, Lord, deliver me completely from this sin uh, than, Lord, give me strength so that uh, I'll, I'll just dabble with it sometimes. I don't think you'd pray that, but let's be honest. Sometimes we act that way. We're, we're not really looking for a total delivery from a sinful stronghold in our lives. We're, we're uh, accepting of allowing a little bit of, of that sin to remain and uh, we're, we're accepting because, well, we'll say, I, I, I don't spend as much time on that, or I don't allow it to own as much of me as it used to. It'll be okay to dabble in that thing once in a while. Well, it's not okay. Uh, if, if that thing is still smoldering over there, like a fire that's been kind of, sort of put out, but not completely put out, it can quickly be rekindled uh, and, and come back and, and cause a lot of damage in your life again. Lord, help us not to be content just to put away a sinful thing, a sinful habit, a little bit or, or mostly, but to truly repent, to truly forsake, to truly leave that thing behind uh, once and for all. Well, the people continue from Hebron. Uh, they push further south in verse 11. Uh, and then uh, we see here in verses uh, 12 through 15, not going to read this, but it's a, it's a review of the account of Caleb offering the hand of his daughter, uh, Aksha in marriage to the man who would uh, step up and conquer Kerjath uh, Sefer. Uh, and you remember that the, the man who stepped up to do that was Othniel. And, uh, he won uh, Aksha's hand in marriage, uh, and he'll actually become the first judge. I think we mentioned that back in, in Joshua. So uh, that's verses 12 through 15. I'm not going to take time to read that tonight. We've seen that very recently in our Wednesday night study, so uh, you can review that on your own. Uh, but in any event, it's just a reminder of, of the person of Othniel. He's, he's going to come on the scene here in chapters uh, 2 or 3. I forget which one, but chapter 2 or 3. Uh, in verse 16, we have a parenthesis regarding the family of Moses' in-laws. Uh, I'm not going to read it now, but it's a bit more of history. Uh, and then let's see this in, in verses 17 through 20. Uh, the conquests uh, by Judah uh, and Simeon are reviewed. And this is important uh, because we're, we're now being reminded, we're now being shown some of the compromise that's going to start snowballing, uh, the setting the stage for apostasy, uh, setting the stage for the people to really stray from God and require God to graciously, albeit harshly, intervene. Don't forget, God's, uh, God's gracious correction is sometimes going to be very harsh. Well, see verse 17. Here the Bible says, And Judah went with Simeon and his brother, and they slew the Canaanites that inhabited uh, Zapheth and utterly destroyed it. And the name of the city was called Hormah. And Judah took Gaza with the coast thereof, and Ascalon with the coast thereof, uh, and Ekron with the coast thereof. That all sounds good. Uh, continuing uh, to take the land, to possess the land that God has given over to them, doing, uh, implementing the plan that God had given. Now see verse 19. Verse 19, Brother Ray, has a, it's a little bit of a difficulty in it. It's a, it's a pretty significant difficulty. And this is one of those places where people point to and say, 
I don't know. Is, is, is your God really that strong? Brother Ray, is your God really that strong? Can he do anything at all? Can he give a victory in any situation? Uh, or is he a little bit limited? Uh, it's verse 19 is a verse that people will point to sometimes and say, you claim that your God is omnipotent, able to do whatever uh, he determines to do, but boy, this verse looks like that may not be the case. So we've got we've to understand the verse and have an answer for this. Uh, we know God can do anything he chooses to. He spoke creation into existence. Uh, he's called the Lord omnipotent. He is all-powerful, and yet we have a verse like this. So verse 19 says this. The first part of the verse sounds good, no trouble. It says this, and the Lord was with Judah. Praise God, he's with me too. Brother Ray, he's uh, indwelling me. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit indwell us tonight. That's a special kind of with us. Uh, the Lord was with Judah, and he drave or drove out the inhabitants of the mountain. So God was with, and the victory was accomplished. Where God gives victory, there's going to be victory. Uh, and then verse 19, the second part, there's a, uh, there's a but, B-U-T, but, but Judah, uh, but could not, the Bible says the Lord was with Judah, and he drove out the inhabitants of the mountain, but could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley because they had chariots of iron. Some of the enemies had, uh, were very powerful militarily. Uh, the inhabitants here of the valley, uh, they, they possessed knowledge of ironworking. They had iron, uh, iron uh, chariots. Uh, the Philistines, we'll see later, evidently uh, had the same technology and uh, were especially formidable uh, in part because of that. So uh, we see here the Lord gave victory uh, in the mountain. But down in the valley, the Bible says uh, Judah could not drive out, could not drive out the inhabitants of the land because they had chariots of iron. Now, Brother Ray, may I ask you this? Uh, are, are those enemy people and their chariots of iron, is there any possibility that they are more powerful, more potent, more mighty than the Lord God himself, creator of all things? Uh, you can't see it online, but Brother Ray is shaking his head no, and uh, Zachary's thinking too. He, he, he's, he's saying yes now, I agree. He's saying yes, he agrees. Uh, he's not saying there's any possibility that uh, those enemies and their chariots of iron uh, are more powerful than the Lord. Uh, so what's, what's happening here? How, how can we understand this verse? Well, there's a Jewish tradition that holds that Judah could not drive out the inhabitants of the valley, uh, due to sin, due to sin in his life, the Lord would not allow that. Uh, that, that is, maybe it's a possibility, but it's, it's not here in the text. Uh, the verse doesn't say that. Uh, instead, the verse attributes his failing to the enemy's strength, their, their chariots uh, of iron. Uh, so it would seem to be the case here that uh, either God chose not to give victory here because of sin, or that perhaps Judah was not willing to go in God's strength because he feared the enemy uh, and their strength. And I rather think the last possibility uh, is probably the case here. The idea is very likely 
that Judah would not attack the enemy in the valley because he feared the enemy. They were an enemy that had chariots of iron. Uh, they had great strength, great defenses, and great, great offensive power, uh, no doubt. So listen, uh, I, I think that's probably the case. It's certainly not the case that God couldn't have accomplished that. Perhaps God chose not to uh, as correction and maybe kind of a hint or foreshadowing of some of the correction to come throughout this book. But uh, I think maybe it's more likely that, that Judah simply chose not to go forward in God's strength because he was afraid. Now listen, the, the answer to fear, uh, the answer to fear in the face of uh, an enemy, really the answer to fear of anything other than Lord himself is what? It's another F word, it's faith. Uh, the answer to fear uh, is faith. And uh, boy, tonight we, we recognize, and I don't have to remind you, there, there's fear all around us. Uh, there is all kinds of fear all around us, and you may be struggling uh, with fear tonight. Uh, let me remind us again tonight that God is an all-powerful God. Uh, he's not limited by our fear. Uh, he is truly unlimited. Uh, and yet we may choose, we may choose to continue focusing on something that is fearful, frightening, uh, instead of choosing to focus on the fact that God is ultimately unlimited in power and strength uh, and being faith, exercising faith in that truth. Everything comes down to a choice. Uh, I was reminded of that idea this week when I, I was speaking with a, a pastor friend. He said, he said, so often we're dealing with worry, anxiety, and fear. It, it comes down to a simple choice. Will I choose to train my attention on the frightening thing or will I choose to take my attention off of that and put my attention upon the Lord and exercise faith in him? You have a choice tonight. You could focus on being afraid of coronavirus and COVID-19 and possibility even of dying, uh, or you can bring that fear to the Lord in prayer uh, and say, Lord, help me to exercise faith in you. Uh, Lord, no matter what happens to me, I know that you'll be there with me. Lord, even if I get sick, your grace will be sufficient. You will not leave me nor forsake me. Uh, Lord, if, if a family member or friend, a parent, uh, a, a child becomes sick, Lord, you will be there. You will be present in the midst of the trial. I have nothing to fear, Lord, but you, you yourself. Uh, let's keep in mind tonight that it's because of the power of Christ in our lives that you can make the choice to turn your attention from frightening things to exercising faith in the Lord. Uh, pray and ask him to help you do that. Bring, bring the fearful, bring the fear to him, bring the worry to him, and with thanksgiving, Philippians 4, and then ask him, ask him to help you exercise faith in him. Um, in the interest of time, uh, I want to I wanna finish up and, and get to our online prayer time, but uh, in the interest of time, permit me to just uh, walk you quickly through this uh, balance of the chapter. We're not going to read it all, but I just want to point out a few things. The, the balance of the chapter uh, is a pretty sad catalog of compromise, and it is absolutely setting the stage for uh, compromise that snowballs into greater apostasy, which requires God to correct his people through difficult trials. Uh, they ultimately repent and, and get brought out of that, those trials, but 
Uh, here's, here's the compromise. Verse 21, the Benjamites compromised by living among the, the Jebusites, Canaanites, rather than driving them out. That's verse 21. Uh, verses 22 through 26 uh, record the final conquest of, of Joseph or, or Ephraim uh, at Bethel. Uh, there's a victory that's pictured here, but there's also a compromise. Uh, a, a Canaanite man who is, who is called upon to help them uh, have a victory uh, is allowed to let to go. He, he's allowed to escape and uh, to reestablish that city in another place. That, that's great compromise uh, that will have great consequences later on. Uh, verse 27 says, neither did Manasseh drive out the inhabitants of, of Beth Shean. Uh, verse 29 says, neither did Ephraim drive out the Canaanites that dwelt at Gezer. Verse 30 says, neither did Zebulun drive out the inhabitants of, of Kitron. Verse 31 says, neither did Asher drive out the inhabitants of Akko. Uh, and on and on, verse 33, neither did Nephtali drive out the inhabitants of Beth Shemesh. Uh, so we have this very sad catalog of compromise. It is setting the stage for God to come in and correct his people. Uh, their sin is going to lead to God's corrective chastisement, which will cause them to repent. Uh, God will raise up a judge who very much will picture Christ as a deliverer from the consequence of sin, and Lord will give them salvation or, or deliver them from correction. The stage is set now. So next Wednesday night, we can march right into the next chapter uh, or two and, and begin to see how God will address this. He is a God who graciously intervenes in the life of his people to encourage our correction and to encourage our growth. Let's stop and thank him for that. And we'll close um, with a song. We have one more song, right? Okay, we have a song. And then uh, if you're uh, joining us live tonight, please join us on the, uh, the Zoom uh, live stream for a, a time of prayer. Father, thank you tonight, Lord, for this book. It's so important. Yes, it's a history book, and it, it fills in uh, several centuries of, of history, uh, but it's also a book that, that teaches and reminds us and reminds us again of tremendously important spiritual truths. Thank you that we can see Christ pictured in these judges. Uh, thank you, Lord, for the reminder as we go through this book that we really need to stand guard against little sins or allowing little sins to uh, remain kind of smoldering off on the side. Lord, we need to uh, forsake those things in your strength. And, uh, Father, when we don't, when we allow those things to become big things and you graciously correct us, I pray you give us a heart to repent and to forsake that sin and that you would restore your blessings uh, in that day. Father, if there's people in our church or people watching online who are convicted of sin, I pray, Lord, that you would help them to simply confess it, even now, to agree with you, that is sin. Uh, and Lord, that they would be willing to uh, seek your help to do that, uh, to forsake it. And Lord, that you'd bless them for it. Father, I love you tonight. I thank you. Uh, thank you for the privilege to introduce this book tonight. I look forward to uh, teaching through it in the coming weeks. Lord, I pray our people will be reading the book and uh, ready, ready to uh, learn it and to uh, benefit from it for your honor and your glory. Lord, I love you. I thank you. And I pray this in Jesus' name.
Okay, we'll sing our last song, number 493. Number 493, we'll sing the first and the last of all for Jesus, 493. For Jesus, all for Jesus, all my being's ransom powers, all my thoughts and words and doings, all my days and all my hours. All for Jesus, all for Jesus, all my days and all my hours. All for Jesus, all for Jesus. All my days and all my hours, and alas, oh, what wonder, how amazing, Jesus, glorious King of kings, deigns to call me his beloved, lets me rest beneath his wings. All for Jesus, all for Jesus, resting now beneath his wings. All for Jesus, all for Jesus, resting now beneath his wings. Let's pray to Heavenly Father. We thank you for the opportunity to look into your word. I pray you bless our time of prayer now in Jesus' name. I pray. Amen.